Welcome back to another episode of Product Love, hosted by Eric Bodick, serial entrepreneur and co-founder of Pendo, a product experience platform. Every day we use different kinds of products to help us go about our lives. Behind each product is a product manager who has carefully built something they hope their users love. This is Product Love, the podcast where we interview product managers and explore the craft of product management. Welcome lovers of product. Today I am here with Marty Duffy, VP of Product Management for G2. Why don't we kick this off, Marty, with you giving us a little overview of your background? Sure. Yeah, I'd be happy to, Eric. Thanks for having me here today. I've been in tech for probably about 15 years. Graduated actually with an English degree, computer science minor. Traveled directly from there over to China to teach English for a few for a year. And then just delved right into tech from there and dabbled around a bunch of different stuff, whether it was three-person startups to uh, United Airlines and the creative service department and all over, but always been around web and digital and product. Awesome. So that's a really interesting background, right? You majored in English and computer science, ended up teaching English and then in, in business. You know, do you tend to think more creatively or technically? Like what has a bigger influence on you, your English background, your teaching or your technical skills, your computer science background? Yeah, it's, it's a mixture of both. To be honest, I probably wouldn't go creative or technical, I'd probably go analytical. I loved reading. I'm like a voracious reader. That's why I wanted to major in English. All I wanted to do was read books. College sounded great. Luckily though, I was the youngest of a family of five. Uh, I had a pretty wise older brother who came to me and had an English degree when he graduated and said, Marty, you should probably get something to do with business, something you can rely on. So that's when I got a computer science minor. But it's always been for me, analytical thinking, diving in and understanding kind of what I'm reading or what I'm working with. And I've got a high desire to solve problems. I love problem solving and I've liked that for a while. So um, that's kind of how I ended up segueing into business. Awesome. Awesome. So tell me about the path into product management. What drew you there in particular? To be honest, opportunity. So there's a serial uh, entrepreneur family I work with. Uh, Godard Abel, Chris Schutz, Tim Handorf. These guys have done four startups. I've been with them for about 10 years at two of those four startups. In that time, I'm a problem solver. Again, chasing those problems, I go where the problems are. Luckily, I was able to kind of shadow and follow Tim Handorf along to run product at Big Machines for a little bit of time before I left there. And then now at G2, they tapped me to kind of go do the same thing. So as opposed to like being deep in a trade, deep in product, I tend to be more of a generalist by nature. My strongest suits tend to be leadership, problem solving, and then whatever reason, I have a, I have a magnet towards product for that because product usually you're running great high-profile teams uh, and attacking big problems. Now, still a voracious reader? Oh, yeah, absolutely, yeah. I love it. Huge fan of Goodreads, the app. Mm -hmm. uh, and then every year, I actually sit down at the beginning of the year, I craft out a goal for myself. So last year, I finished about 26 books. This year, my goal was 24, so I do two a month. And then what I do is I make a plan for that. So I basically put out categories of books I want to read. I try to put out like a list of what I want to do, but um, in true fashion, kind of keep it agile. If I get a recommendation or something, I'll throw it in. As long as I'm hitting my categories, I feel good. Awesome, awesome. So favorite product management book? Great question. I'm actually chugging through right now. I'm probably about 30 pages into Melissa Perry's uh, Escaping the Product Build Trap. Really, really enjoying that one. Brand new read from 2019. How about, you know, favorite other books, like outside of product management, software, business, you know, favorite books? Yeah, plenty. For a lot of years, my favorite was actually a book by um, Richard Matheson called I Am Legend. Mm -hmm. uh, ended up getting a little bit of fame on the big screen with Will Smith, but if you read the book, it was phenomenal. Uh, one of the things I loved about that, it was kind of a short story, about a premise with vampires. I kind of like the fiction like that. The twist at the end was phenomenal. The discovery and the twist, he took you through this compelling story, but at the very end kind of flipped it on something that you had to think about something very different. It was, it was a really good read. 
Outside of that, plenty of plenty of reads. I do a lot of Christian reading. I do a lot of fiction reading. I do a lot of business reading. Those are kind of the areas I dig into. Awesome. So you talked about being a product solver or problem solver. <laughs> Maybe a product solver, too. But you <laughs> talked about being a problem solver at, at G2. So talk to me about the problems you've been trying to solve there. Yeah. G2 is so unique. Like I mentioned, that entrepreneurial family, we've done a couple businesses. Predominantly, it's always been B2B SaaS. So you're solving one thing. You're taking a product to market for one consumer. G2 is so different because we're doing a two-sided marketplace, right? And with that two-sided marketplace, we have two predominant personas to consider, right? you got the front end of the site, which is your your buyer's who you actually want to solve and your mission is to solve the problem for them. But then on the other side of that, you've got the vendors or customers who want to license or purchase from you. So on the buyer side, we started out with the mission basically to try to transform B2B buying and the way people purchase software. Now that we've done that and we keep growing for years, we're expanding out into trying to figure out how we solve basically their, their whole problem and not just purchasing software, but actually being successful with that software. So whether that means selecting a services firm, whether that means maybe uh, selecting a translation management software to go with it or even maybe the hardware to back it up. We're trying to make sure we're thinking holistically and solving how do we make it easier for somebody to buy and trust the solution that they want to go after and mitigate that risk. And then the vendor side, it's usually all about B2B buying is changing, right? Yeah, um, absolutely. You, it's changing a ton. Yeah. And if you look at the percentages of people who make decisions before they even talk to salespeople, it's staggering. So with that, companies need to kind of relook and say, how do I engage with these users? Where are they at, right? So on our side, what we do is we continue to build this marketplace of all these buyers coming to make those decisions. We look for comfortable paths and ways for vendors to engage those buyers in a more meaningful way. You know, you look at a company like Drift who's doing that with conversational marketing, uh, which is great. We use them on the site. But if you look beyond that too, what are, are there ways that these vendors and buyers can kind of get together and have conversations in a meaningful way? Yeah. So talk to me about what you mentioned first, or one of the things you mentioned first, the two-sided marketplace. Yeah. Because a lot of people struggle, especially early on, to get companies started that have a two-sided marketplace. Because in essence, they're trying to solve and build out two product lines at once that need to grow kind of in parallel, right? You can't have one that's like doing really well and one that's not. It's yeah. kind of like working out one arm, I guess, or something. You know, it just doesn't work. So talk to me about the problems, those problems. Yeah, luckily I was saved from those a little bit. So knowing these guys, they started the company probably, I think it was a good six, seven years ago. I missed the first three years. I was actually working for a nonprofit on the West Coast for a few years and came back. So they had kind of solved some product market fits. We were pretty equally balanced. With that though, and diving in and hearing from them when I joined in the company, they attacked the buyer first. Because at the end of the day, you could go try to monetize something, but unless you have something to monetize, it's not gonna be meaningful to the vendors, right? So what they had to do was focus on, hey, can we get buyers to the site and at that time, it was, can we get them writing reviews? So the whole focus was trying to build this area and this muscle for how do we get a site that people want to come to write reviews on software? Because at the end of the day, the, the, the reviews at that point were our IP. That's why people would want to come and try to research software. And then vendors would want to engage because really there's buyers at that marketplace or at that. Yeah. So, so looking at the two-sided marketplace from your experience, is it you know analyzing the problem to think about, okay, how can we create one side that has value in and of itself? and then add the second side? Is that kind of the, the thought process and approach in general or is it vary based on the situation? It's a great question. We actually just did a dialogue with another company who was doing it for um, something similar, but uh, it was a different market. I'm trying to remember the, the recommendation we gave them. Yeah, I think, Eric, I think that's a fair way to put it. I think you want to focus on that consumer, that buyer, right? 
whoever is using that site and then look for opportunities and engage with whoever will be picking up kind of that revenue portion of it, but really lean into the one. I think that is the way I would say to, to, to look forward or go after it. Awesome. And now you think about product managers and you know, obviously we have a, a broad range of things we need to accomplish, but one of them is constant execution, right? We need to ship product. Ideally, we're not a feature factory exactly, but we're still got a ship product, right? So talk to me about habits that they can instill or learn that helps them be more productive in execution. Yeah, it's a great question. This is one I've been digging in a lot. So my background comes more from strong operations. So like waterfall, feature roadmaps, that's kind of where I grew up in, right? And now, as you know, I'm sure, industry definitely has been and it is changing, right? much more focused on product discovery, much more focused on aligning teams together, doing that discovery and execution. But for me, anything good comes down to a rigor and a cadence. Even if you're doing meaningful discovery or meaningful execution, it all comes down to rigor and cadence. And basically the willpower to drive those things out and have tenacity for it. So right now we're talking to Teresa Torres, who maybe you're familiar with. Yeah, right? She runs Product Talk, so we're actually bringing her in as a coach right now to do some stuff. One of the things I love about her, right? She's going after this whole concept of continuous discovery. And it's all about that front end discovery, which will have execution part of it, but understanding that. But if you really dig into her process, even she goes after this kind of tenacity, kind of cadence and a rigor of saying like, you need to have a weekly pattern where you're going and doing interviews. You need to have a system and mechanics set up for who your interview slots are going to be. So I think my passion around this stuff and for product managers, what I'd say is, Regardless of where you're at, are you in product discovery, product execution, maintenance mode? The best thing you can do is distill that stuff down and have patterns that you want to lean into and to be able to hold those even when sometimes maybe it just feels like checking a box, but it's something that you can lean on and have a consistent foundation. So talk to us a little bit more about how product managers can go about creating an environment where they can thrive. Yeah, great question. This is definitely kind of one of my passion areas. I think... It comes down to the individual product manager and the team leading a group of product managers and trying to find what's unique for your environment. You know, you read and hear a ton these days on different playbooks to run, right? Whether it's kind of Kanban, whether it's Agile, whether it's Waterfall, whatever it is. To me, it always comes down to a healthy level of kind of rigor that you're putting into the work you're putting out, a cadence that you're following, and then just making sure you've got pockets of environments to get the best from your team. If I take an example of that, right? If you are looking at a team who is, you know, one I always run into a lot at different companies is areas where you're idea rich, but execution poor. Trying to find how you can go after and solve that area that you're weak in by creating a a comfortable environment to make the best of it or to deliver on it well. So I think as a product manager, what I would do is know the playbook you want to run, audit the org or the company you're at to see where your strengths and weaknesses are, and then make sure you're setting up environments to shore up those weaknesses. That's, that's probably the best tip I can give. Now, when you're talking about that environment and you know, shoring up the weaknesses, are you also looking to shore up the weaknesses through staffing? I mean, how do you approach that? Yeah, absolutely. You know, I usually look at a few different things. I'm a, I'm a fan of like kind of the Myers-Briggs or the 16 personalities. So you can kind of look and make sure you've got a diverse team there. Also a fan of kind of looking at breaking down skill sets. PM to me is such a unique role that we're asked to do so many different things. You can't always solve through hiring or through people. So you you need to offset that with maybe members of the team that you're on or members of the squad you're running. So it's really still coming down to doing that a little bit of that analysis and then trying to identify where those weaknesses are and then figuring out how you could do it. 
But I think you're spot on, right? You could try to do that through hiring with the squad of the team. Otherwise, making sure to do it through kind of what I'm saying with these environments, which is basically, you know, it's a concept I picked up from a book called Team of Teams. And really, it was this concept that a general actually brought forth when he had to kind of change a pattern of how he was working and tried to look for how do I empower teams in such a way by just creating an environment where they can be the most effective and run at as fast as possible whatever it is, the problem they were trying to solve. And I, I thought that was really useful. And then just taking that and bringing it into product and thinking about it in a similar way. Yeah. So give me a little more details on that. You know, take me through an example where you might've found a gap and how you set up the environment, you know, to shore up that gap. Sure. Sure. So I think I could probably take a live example from us here at G2. We're a growing org. If you look at us from a product standpoint, we are uh, all up in product about 70 strong. That breaks down into very small squads of usually anywhere between like five to seven people. So you can imagine just doing that math. There's a number of those, right? And what we found is those individual squads in their pocket running at things, very solid, very good. But they used to have to go and talk to different people, different groups, right? Let me talk to my stakeholders. Let me share. I'm running things through user testing. Let me talk to our chief design officer, our chief technology officer. So one of the environments I looked at to try to enable them to go faster was we looked at the, the, the process a team would run through and say, what are kind of some big milestones you might hit? And then whose feedback do you need? And then what we ended up putting in place was just a uh, one kind of standing meeting on Mondays. It was a cadenced meeting where the entire product leadership team was there. And then these squads could come in and get concise feedback from several of those different parties at one time and kind of net out any conflicts between maybe different feedback they're getting. And then they're off and running. As well, they could see cross-squad, maybe any overlap that's out there that maybe they would run into. So this has been something, you know, we set up probably about two quarters ago and still running and running effectively. So let's jump back into the the people side. You mentioned, you know, doing Myers-Briggs and also looking at skills. Talk to me about what you're looking for in the personality types. And then also, what's the list of skills you're trying to kind of weave throughout your organization? Yeah. Great question. So for the skills, I break it down to a few. Strategic vision, are they able to cast a vision and kind of sell you on it? Communication, right? We are the hub between a whole bunch of different groups and making sure they're solid communicators. Data-driven, is it somebody who's going to be kind of digging in and taking a look at data? I have one generic bucket I kind of call this PM essentials, but trying to suss out where the product manager might be in the maturity and how many different kind of PM playbooks they have. Business acumen, do they have a sense to kind of wrap their head around a business so they know the products they're bringing to market are going to have business impact? And then the last one I would call um, kind of a GTD attitude, right? Just to get things done attitude. Are they scrappy, driven enough to want to take their vision and see it champion and driven through? When it comes to personalities, I, I don't think there's one I look for. I usually try to look for like, what is the, the makeup of the team? And then what would be an additional voice that could be needed or helpful in that to basically either bring a new point of view or maybe do some balancing out. Yeah. So is it the same with skill sets where you don't necessarily look for all of those, but look for the makeup of the team to have an overlap of all those areas? Or are those all kind of like, I want a baseline of these skills? Yeah. For the most part, a baseline, but I I will definitely be open to being weak in certain areas if I've got a strength from other players and I know there could be some collaboration. Got it. Cool. So let's talk a little bit about customer voice, right? It can be really hard to capture and, and understand. How do you deal with you know, feedback from customers? How do you deal with distinguishing between needs and wants? Do you have any advice to the product community out there on that? Good question. Yeah. So for us, I've learned at a few companies now to try to kind of catalog and put things together so you can see repetition. 
our first startup was a company called Big Machines. And back then we actually used to plug in with salesforce.com to track idea generation, both from customers and our sales team. Uh, and then we'd look for patterns. Here at G2, we use something similar. We don't open up to customers, but we use an internal one. Uh, we partner with a tool called Spigot to actually break that down and then make sure we're trying to look for repetitive patterns. Um, and we're chewing through that uh, usually about once a quarter. The other one that I would say, and obviously give myself our own plug here is to lean into your reviews. And then as again, you're, you're looking for these patterns of repetition. How often are things getting called out multiple times? So you can look and actually kind of validate to see, is this a one-off, is this noise, or is this something that we're seeing or hearing from uh, broader in the market from multiple people? Yeah. And you have, I mean, you have so many sources of feedback too, right? Competitors, customer sales, reviews, customer success. How do you get the gems through all the noise? How do you kind of cull that or filter that? As well as we can. So what we try to do here is we push throughout all that to try to load that into one tool. So in that one tool, we can kind of export from there and do some analysis. Because otherwise, right, you're just kind of chasing tails and looking for all those things. And you're just relying on maybe either the highest voice at the time, the loudest voice at the time, or the most recent thing you heard. So I think, you know, getting back to that same kind of concept of kind of healthy execution habits, similar thing, have a pattern you're going to run here have a source of truth you know you want to pull from and then just do your best to make sure you're maintaining that, defending it and putting it in there because you know by putting it and having one healthy spot, that's your source of truth that you're going to be able to get better insights from it. So we've talked about this idea of a customer-centric product experience and even a customer-centric product team. How do you go about curating that? Simple it is, is get in front of customers, right? Know your customers, get in front of them. Easier said than done, right? Product management, when you're sitting getting hit from all angles, whether it be, you know, current bugs are in the system, whether it be the current build and your devs and designers may be asking questions, whether it be your stakeholder with the next big thing, you just got to make sure that you are protecting time to do that. So here at G2, we actually spent probably a good half in what I would consider kind of getting really dialed in on product execution. This half, one of our kind of mantras is we're getting really dialed in on product discovery. So for us to put it at the forefront, I've actually set like a team goal where we're tracking our discovery hours. We set up a really simple Google form with a Slack bot reminder and we hit up and we're asking every single member of the product team, whether it be an engineer, designer, or product manager to actually track those discovery hours. Sounds simple, but again, it all comes down to just the execution of doing it and that kind of healthy habit of making sure it's getting done. Yeah, absolutely. You know, we, we talked about qualities you look for in product teams, product managers, Let's talk a little bit about your interview process there. How do you measure those qualities? What's interesting or unique about your interview process? Can you take me through that a little? Yeah, so I run, in my opinion, a, a thorough process and a G2 overall, we run a pretty thorough process. So when candidates come through, we actually have those candidates do a phone screen with our employee success group. We have those candidates do a um, kind of a, a lightweight test that they'll take. And those are generic to G2 post that unique to PM, I actually will cover a homework assignment. So I'll do another phone screen with the product manager candidates. And then what I'll do is I'll gauge their interest by asking if they're up for a homework assignment, even before they've come on site. And what I ask them to do is I give them two options. I basically give them a a generic product assignment, or I ask them if they want to take on a, a G2 specific one. And this is probably just maybe a couple hours worth of energy to kind of go after this and do a presentation. Assuming they do that well, I'll have them come on site and we do an interview with a panel of people. They'll meet other PMs. They'll meet our head of design. They'll meet somebody from our engineering team, a stakeholder of whatever group they might be working with. And then all the way up actually to our CEO because our product managers get pretty high visibility here. And then on site, when they're doing interviews, we actually have another test we go through that kind of 
takes a run at like data knowledge and just puts some scenarios in front of them for different scenarios based on data and how they would want to act on those. So take me through, if you don't mind, a couple of those examples, either from the phone screen or from your personal interview, whether it's generic, you know, or or specific to G2 or generic to product management. Can you take us through some uh, examples of like a problem you might propose or a couple problems? Uh, Sure. So one, as I mentioned earlier, we were talking about, right, I'm, I'm an avid reader. I love reading. One of my favorite sites is actually Goodreads. So one of the generic ones I'll throw out there is actually a managing your, your product manager coming into Goodreads and you were part of maybe the digital team and you're responsible for driving up daily active users. I basically will hone them on an area of the site and then ask how they would attack the problem of uh, knowing that's what they'd own and what they might want to dig into or know and then come with some ideas of what they would want to do in their first kind of 30, 60, 90 days in order to go after and attack that problem. Do you have a favorite answer you got? No, not yet. <laughs> um, usually what I'm looking for is if they're going to actually give me something around the data and be curious versus just coming with an opinion. So I think those are probably my, my favorites are probably when people are asking and trying to get after it or to, to lay out some hypothesis based on data they think they might find, right? And usually right there, what I'm looking for is the way they're thinking. If they're just coming and they're coming kind of with a right off the hip, kind of their opinion right there, it's good. That means they're creative. They're on their toes. You can put them in somewhere and they're going to be good brainstormers. But also I want somebody who's kind of sitting there saying, hey, well, here's the things I'm curious about. Here's the things I'd probably want to dig at or dig into from analytics. And then based upon my findings, here's some things maybe I'd want to run at, right? Because now you're getting to see how they think, how they break down the problem. And that's really what I want to know. In the interview process, there's so many questions out there. What are the interview questions? How do you answer? And really what I was trained in is kind of behavioral interviewing, putting them in a situation and then seeing how they're going to attack or break out that situation so that you can get a good sense of how they think about problems and how they think about product. And that's really what I'm, what I'm looking for. Awesome. So Marty, one of the things you talked about early on was discovery and how you're doubling down on discovery. And that's a real emphasis for you guys in the near term. In fact, you're getting involved with Teresa Torres, who I love. Talk to me about the thought process there and what you're hoping to accomplish and why you're doubling down on discovery. Yeah, really, I'm following kind of what I would deem as kind of trends in the space. Product to me is still, a. uh, there's plenty of thought leaders out there that can kind of lay out what product can look like. But in my opinion, it's still to be well-defined, right? But I think what we can all agree on is that in broad strokes, discovery and understanding your problem and execution, creating a solution to it are two broad strokes we can all agree on and then figure out how you go into it. To me, I always lean into execution because of making sure that your team can build and ship. But post that, it's making sure you're honing the what it is you are building. If you've got a good product team, you're probably never short of ideas. If you've got a decent process of at least listening to your customers or secondhand listening through your salespeople, you've got a good backlog of ideas to go after. But I think once you've kind of cracked execution and gotten really efficient as a team, it all comes down to, are you building the right things, right? There's never going to be a shortage of things to build. So in my opinion, it's always coming down to what is the most important thing to build. And to me, everything I'm reading, everything I'm seeing at conferences talked about, it's all in that area of discovery and making sure that you've got a good way to dig in there and understand what the need is for your customer that you really need to solve and make sure you're just kind of maniacal about going after that. So I feel solid and good with our team here at G2 on execution and and building out. So what I really want to double down on is making sure that we're using the most efficient and kind of best focused area for our team to be solving the right problems. And I firmly believe that we'll, we'll do that through discovery and staying as tight as possible with our customers. Well, thanks, Marty. This has been great. Let's wrap this up by talking a little bit about you. So 
you know, I'll ask you first, what's your personal favorite product? It's a great question. I think the one I'm most interested about recently is actually, um, it's an app called Bible Lens. So there's a small company called Uversion, and they do a digital copy of the Bible. And really what they've done is they kind of created a product like Canva, where you just take images and then just very easily layer text upon it. But they've built it out for a niche use case of people who want to take their own images, but then just reference them with Bible quotes. And what they do is they've actually built out a way for you to do it by yourself, but they've actually built onto there a little bit of AI. Well, they'll go through all the photos you've got in your phone saved and then come up with the recommendations you want. And then depending on that, they let you kind of change the style of it, the verse maybe you want to do, maybe the, the different version of the Bible you want to quote. My wife and I have actually been really enjoying exploring that recently. I just find the way they thought about their target market and taking like a common thing like Canva and just layering something on an image, but then hone it in on a specific person, a specific use case, and really make that a great product I've been pretty impressed by. Hmm, That's really interesting. And then I assume they allow you to easily distribute your output, your media? Yeah, so they're doing two things. They do one where they'll allow you to kind of easily do it out to social channels, as you'd expect. The second one, interestingly enough, and this is smart on them, they're allowing you to link it out to their Bible app, right? That they publish as their first product. And then that way they're actually trying to create a community of people to publish out there where you could pick and choose maybe photos other people had. So obviously, you know, if it's a photo of your kid and your family, you're not going to push it there. But maybe if it's something you took of a backdrop of like, you know, a beautiful sunset or something like that layered on, that might be something you'd want others to share from. So they're allowing you to easily push it to your own audience or to add to kind of a community audience to layer in on. Awesome. So one final question for you today, Marty, uh, three words to describe yourself. Yeah. So three distinct ones I'd probably lay out Christian driven and glue. Happy to dive into any of those if you want. But those, <laughs> are, those are the three that come to mind. I think Christian and driven are pretty well, I can understand those. Talk to me about glue. Yeah. Glue was, it was a, a nickname that I got kind of coined and have been coined at a few places. I think we talked earlier, you know, you were asking me about product and I I mentioned like a more of a generic leader than a deep niche expert in one area. But one thing I continually bring no matter where I work is kind of that glue that six teams together. It kind of attaches really well to my driven aspect. If I know there's a problem I want to solve, if there's a mission I'm on, I will be that glue between people, whether it be internal customers, external, to get that thing across the line. And it's definitely been one of the characteristics that's allowed me to kind of grow in my career and Funny enough, I've heard it called that (laughs) at several different places without people knowing it. So it's just a name that uh, comes to mind for me. Awesome. Well, thank you, Marty. This has been great. Agreed. Thank you. This has been Product Love. Thank you for tuning into this episode. Check out the rest of our articles and interviews on productcraft.com, an online magazine by and for product people.